Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. He never said that we would not have deep water or hot fire. He just said that as we do, he's going to be with us. And I want to remind you this morning that that really is the treasure of it all. The treasure is not easy times. The treasure is the presence of God, whether times are hard or easy. If you're our guest this morning, I want to direct your attention quickly to on the back of your chair, there's a little QR code. If you would, scan that and help us minister to you by giving us a little information about yourself. We want to know how we can get you plugged in, love on you, be there for you. Uh, That's what the church, in fact, is for. It's not something we have to do. It's not an obligation. The church is not an obligation. It's a blessing from God. And so we want to be that for you, okay? So take just a second and do that. If you have your Bible, we are not going to 1 Peter. And somebody said, well, why? Well, because we finished it. I mean, we, we finished it other than the closing part of the letter. So this morning, um, and by the way, did any of you have as much fun as I did going through First Peter verse at a time? Wasn't that fun? And uh, I've heard some people come to me and say, you know what? I'm not part of this gathering, but I've gone back on the podcast and listened to every message, and I've, I went through the whole book of First Peter. And so verse at a time, you won't miss any, and so I pray that you'll do that if you haven't. And today, instead, we're going to be in the gospel according to John. So grab your Bible and go ahead and be making your way there. And we're going to find ourselves today in chapter number 10, okay? Now, we're going to do a couple of things at once this morning, all right? And so one of the things we're going to do, we saw about five people, at least five people saved in our early worship time this morning. And yeah, why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there, man? Powerful, powerful time. But what I want us to do this morning is to not miss the opportunity to reach those outside the room. So if you have your phone with you, um, it's an opportunity for you to be a missionary. So will you grab your phone? A couple of things I want to ask you to do. First of all, on the side of that thing, somewhere is a volume switch. And if you'll cut that volume off, everybody in your neighborhood, and if you're our guest, we call these neighborhoods, uh, won't be looking at you crazy when that duck call goes off or that alarm or your favorite song, you know, blares. So if you cut the volume off on the side, so the ringer off, and then cut the volume down before you go on to social media. Now, many of us in here say social media, it's evil. No, it's not. It's neutral, uh, depending on what you use it for, okay? So what we want to do as a people is take advantage of every opportunity we have to get the gospel out. And so would you go on our Facebook page this morning and be a missionary from your chair, That means it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to leave. You get to sit in the room and enjoy the air conditioning. But you might simply pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, will you put this message in front of who needs to hear it and then hit the share button and let God do what God does. It's amazing the testimonies we get from people all around the world because you guys shared. People come to me all the time and say, you know, I was born again. You remember when I got saved? I said, no, you'll have to remind me. And they'll say, well, so-and-so shared it. And I was in my car going down the road and I pulled over the side of the road and got saved. And now they're a faithful member of the church. So Don't miss that opportunity, okay? Uh, Not just for here, but for all over the world. So take a second and be a missionary, all right? Now, with that being said, take your Bible and look in John chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. But really, we're going to read those. We're only going to focus on 7 through 10 because y'all look hungry when you came in. And I want to, yeah, is that right? And uh, how many of y'all got some kind of plans today? 
uh, with mama. Raise your hand if you got some kind of plans today. Raise them up high so I can see y'all got them in your lap. Okay, good. Most everybody here has got some kind of plans today. So I want to get you to that, but not before we deal with the most important thing we'll do all day, and that is to break open the bread of life. So what's happening? This man by the name of John, not, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple, has recorded the life and times and, and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ from what he saw. And so what we're finding here in chapter number 9 is that Jesus has just healed somebody who was born blind. Nobody's ever done that before. Now, he did it a very peculiar way, all right? Here's what he did. You can imagine if you were walking down the side of the road, and you looked over, and there's two men over on the side over there, and they're doing something, and you're trying to figure out what they're doing. And so you get a little closer. And as you get a little closer, you realize that one of the guys is spitting on the ground and playing with his spit in the dirt. And you're saying to yourself, what in the world is that guy doing? And what he's doing is he's making mud with his saliva. Some of y'all are going, what in the world is going on? That guy's Jesus. And so he makes mud with his saliva, and he takes the mud, and he smears it on his eyes, and he tells him to go and wash, and he'll be healed. And he goes and washes, and guess what? He's healed. And somebody asked me one time, why in the world do you think Jesus did that? I said, well, if you'll notice, when Jesus healed, he oftentimes changed the method. Sometimes he'd touch. Sometimes they'd touch him. Sometimes he'd speak. Sometimes he'd take spit and dirt and make mud because if he didn't change the method, we would worship the method instead of the master. And if, it was, if he only healed people by spitting in the dirt and making mud, you know what you and I will all be doing right now out in the yard? There wouldn't be a blade of grass on the property. Um, but it's not the method, it's the master. And so as we learned this, he's done that. And there's a group of people who are religious elite. They're called Pharisees who very, very godly, if you looked at their lives, they look on the outside like they've got it all together. Uh, but Jesus said about them that they were like tomb, whitewashed tombs. The outside looked really good, but the inside was full of decaying bones because Jesus has to change us from the inside out. And they are now offended that this Jesus has performed this miracle. They argue, try to argue it down. And the purpose is they don't want to point to the fact that Jesus is the way for man to know God. They still believe in an old covenant system with sacrifices and the need for Pharisees and high priests and all the sort. But all of that was pointing to Jesus. So now we have in John 10, Jesus addressing them with a couple of illustrations. Does that make sense to you? One is going to be, and we're going to read it, one is going to be, and it's the most common of this chapter, it is the good shepherd. So he refers to himself as the good shepherd. And me and you, you know what he refers to us as? Sheep. And so there, but in the middle of that, he changes his illustration and gives them one in verses 7 through 10 that we're going to focus on today, okay? Everybody feel like you got a little firm grasp as to where we're going? We started wide, worked ourselves narrow, and now we're looking specifically at a few verses. But first, I want to encourage you to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. Would you do that? Would you stand to your feet for just a moment? And let's begin John 10, verse number 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the, shepherd, the sheep rather follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of of strangers. He's trying to drive home the point that he is the way for man to know God, to be shepherded to God, to be shepherded, their souls to be shepherded. God would be able to shepherd our souls through God the Son, Jesus Christ. Y'all tracking with me? But what do we find in verse number six? Jesus used this illustration, but, but, y'all with me? 
they, y'all help me, the things which he spoke to them. It went like, you ever, you ever see somebody go, shoop, right over their head. So he changes the illustration here and tries to make it a little more narrow and simple that they might understand. You're reading with me, beginning in verse number 7. Then Jesus said to them again, so now he's telling them another illustration. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door. All right, now, whenever I stop reading, you read. Now, let's don't go to the door. Let's read that thing like you believe it's the Word of God, okay? Y'all ready? And uh, by the way, if you're our guest, I don't, I'm not preaching down to you. We're going to do this together. We're going to have fun together, okay? And so we're going to interact. Verse number 7, they, then Jesus said to them again. They didn't get that, so he's got to say, I'm telling them another story. Jesus, surely, most assuredly, I say to you, I am of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, Jesus said, have come that they may have life and that they may have that life. How? More abundantly. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And he goes back into the good shepherd. So I want us to focus on verses 7 through 10. Let's pause for just a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Somebody say, man, I visited down there and them jokers prayed like four times before they ever got started. Yeah, the point of that is we know we aren't good enough and we're not able, but he is, so we're going to go back to him in prayer, okay? Now specifically for preaching. Will you, will you bow with me? Father, two things I'd like to ask you now. First, would you help me to preach and would you help us to listen? And I thank you that the assignment's too big for me and for us. Uh, would you put on display today by the power of your spirit the gift of preaching that you can use anybody, the most shyest people like me, the less than ordinary like me, the fallen, the failure like me, and show today that you can use anybody to do anything you just so desire. But, Lord, as you put that on display and preach through me, make it clear and straight and to the point, and, Father, would you also give us ears to hear what the shepherd says? I pray that Jesus would speak crystal clear through me today to the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room and outside of this room. Lord, my humble prayer is that you sit us on the front edge of our seat and like a daddy, sitting down with a child, cupping his hands on both cheeks and looking into our eyes, would you speak life to us today? And we ask it in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as you're taking a seat, I want to tell you the title of the message. The title of the message is The Door of Our Destiny, all right? The Door of Our Destiny. I want you to think about that, The Door of Our Destiny. How many of you know the doors are important? All right, two of us. All right, here's the question. Can you imagine this room if it had no doors? Uh, not very much benefit to the room, would it be, if it didn't have any doors? No way in, no way out. Um, would you think about for just a minute how many doors you used already today? Huh? Several doors, right? Some of the purpose was to keep somebody out. Some of them was to keep some people in, right? Some of got little kids, you better shut the door. They'll be out. They'll be gone in just a second. And so doors, we would say, are very, very important, Right? I remember a time in my life some 20 years ago when the first preaching opportunities that I got was at the Oakley School for Boys. Y'all, any of y'all familiar with that? I didn't learn it. And it is a, a place where uh, young men who are too young to go to prison go and serve their time if they've been convicted of a, lo of a crime. Back in those days, that's how it operated. And so uh, on Thursday nights, we would go and preach, and I had this particular little, uh, little group that I went to every time. It was 30 or 40, and I went to the same one every time. Well, one Thursday night, we get there, and the administrator says, we don't have anybody to go in pod number whatever. And so everybody just kind of sits there, and they say, I said, well, I'll do that. You know, I'll go, I'll go to the pod. I didn't know what it was. I said, but I'll go. Whatever that is, I'll go. And they started telling me as I was leaving, now, just, just so you know, those are, these are the most violent among the, 
the group, and I was like, okay, cool, you know, and whatever. And so we go in, and the person tells me, hey, pay attention because you're going to have to come back out on your own. And can you believe that I didn't pay attention? And so we go in. Y'all know where the story's going. And we go in, and because uh, I'm thinking about the message, I'm thinking about the boys, I'm praying for them on the way in, I'm, I'm rehearsing in my heart what God's got on, I'm thinking about it, I'm meditating on it. I'm praying for their salvation, for the strengthening of their lives, for them to know the love of God. And I'm going in, them doors are, eh, you know, and the lock's coming undone, and they're letting me in, and they're shutting the next one. And it's a pretty uh, sobering thing when it happens. And so I get to where I'm going, and first thing I do is I say, all right, guys, we're going to bow our heads together and pray. They open the doors to their cells into this common area that's all kind of sealed, and I'm in there with them. And I said, we're going we're gonna to bow our heads and close our eyes and pray. So we bow our head and close our eyes, and I start to pray, and I hear, oh, one boy screams out. And I look over, and the other one has taken a pencil and stabbed the other one under the arm. Now, he didn't break the skin. He just jabbed him, you know. And I said, all right, guys, we're going to pray with our eyes open. <laughs> you know, you can pray with your eyes open. And so I said, let's pray with our eyes open. Everybody keep an eye on everybody, and we're going to talk to God. <laughs> and so we talked to God, and we had the best night. I think three or four got saved that night. Uh, young, young men were conf confessing the sin that was so easily ensnared them. I mean, we had the best night. It was so wonderful. And, and can you believe that, it, that I ran over the time I was allotted? I know. I'm surprised even now as you are. And so y'all aren't surprised at all. And so as the time unfolded, I was supposed to be leaving at 830. It was 9 o'clock, and I start getting ready. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I start to leave. They open the first. The first two doors are very simple. There's no other option. you got two doors, right? One unlocks, I go out. The other unlocks, I go out. But when you go out the second door, you have a lot of options. I entered into a hallway, and in this long, narrow hallway were three or four doors, and on the doors were large, uh, lower, excuse me, uppercase alphabet letters, A, B, C, D. And I'm like, i got no idea. I go pull on A, it's locked. I go pull on B, it's locked. C is unlocked. I shoot through C. When I go through C, I'm going to get a little bit of, you know, my heart is getting up a little bit. And I open up C. When I open up C, it's into a courtyard, an octagon shape outside. Okay, I'm outdoors. And there's just a basketball goal in me. That's it. And I look around, there's about four doors, and these are numbered, one, two, three, four. I'm like, I have no idea. So I pull one, it's locked, two's open, I go through two, boom. So, so far I've taken C, I don't know, C and two, and I'm running down a hallway that looks just like the one that I came out of with A, B, and C. And I'm pulling door handles, and I'm telling you, for 30 minutes, seemed like two hours, uh, I know those guards were watching me saying, look at that. He's like a 200, at that time, 250-pound rat in a maze. And I know they had a blast watching me because, because doors are important. And if you don't pay attention, if you don't take the right door, you'll end up in the wrong place. Come on, somebody. And so, man, I learned the hard way. Well, I'll tell you the rest of that story some other time. But let me just I did get out of there, you realize, because I'm here today. And so I did finally find a different door that came out the same place. But today I want to tell you about a door that is much more critical than the door out of uh, Oakley Training School for Boys. I want to tell you about a door that is a door that is in your future, in my future. And you say, how do you know? Well, because I'll, I'll explain as I go along. But it's in your door on the front row, in the middle row, and on the sidewall, in this middle section, in the middle neighborhood, and, and, and Jamie running the camera. And uh, all around, everybody in here, there's a door of your destiny that you will face somewhere in the future, okay? And so I pray that today uh, may change how it is that that door presents itself for you in the future, opened or closed, okay? Y'all tracking with me? Yes? All right, let's dive in. The door of our destiny. Here's the main idea of what we just read, all right? Especially verses 7 through 10. Here it is. Jesus is the door of destiny for everyone. Write that statement down. You need to know that. Jesus is the door of destiny for everyone. Does that mean everyone saved? 
No. Does that mean everyone's going to heaven? No. Does that mean all of us are God's children? No. Heaven's no. Uh, but he is the door of destiny for everyone. All right? Everyone. You have that written? You had time to write that? All right. Roman numeral one in your notes. All right? Now, imagine we're going to try to fill up this much time with just three verses, four verses. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to trust the Lord is going to help us. All right? So, first of all, y'all even going to smile with me this morning. Y'all thinking about lunch? And you ain't got one? Come on, y'all got to help me out here this morning, all right? Roman number one, you know, Jesus is the exclusive door of entry. Write that statement down. Now, that is one part of the gospel that absolutely offends the nature of mankind. We don't like to have our options narrowed. How many of you know that about me and you? We like to have all our options open. Come on, y'all track with me. A little head nod if you believe that to be true. You like to have all kind of options. If I, uh, it's funny because you can go places, and even when you're serving food in places, you say, well, here's what we're serving. Never fails. Somebody always asks, well, do you have this? <laughs> and I'm always like, no, 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 this is the only option we've got. We, we, we keep it simple. We prepared this. Well, do you have this? But no, we don't have that. We have this. So Jesus is the exclusive door of entry. And I'm telling you, mankind hates that truth. Matter of fact, you'll hear people like Oprah Winfrey uh, say this, well, I just can't really believe in a God who says there's only one way home. And so man ascends in his mental capacity to the uh, throne of God and says, uh, I don't care what you said, I'm going to imagine it some other way. But Jesus said two times in this passage something that you and I need to hear. Listen to what he says in verse number seven. Jesus says, and he's been telling him, I'm the shepherd. I lead my sheep. When I speak to them and call their name, they hear me. They respond to me. They don't respond to uh, strangers. They hear my voice. I go ahead of them. I make a way for them. I go ahead of them. I lead them. I don't, I don't drive them. And they willingly submit and follow me. And then they, they're like, what, what are you talking about, you know? And so then he says, okay, well, let me, let me say it this way. I am the door. And so what I want you to notice here is that Jesus said, I am the door. And he did not say, I am a door. And notice that Jesus did not say, I am a door, but there is a window. Um, very simply and profoundly put, you and my, our only hope to know God and be part of his family is the door of Jesus Christ. There's no window of good works. There's no side hatch, uh, a roof entry of, of, of knowledge or good deeds, or how many mission trips you've been on, or how many Bible verses you can quote. Uh, there are no windows. There are no other, there's not a second door. There simply is one singular door. And our pride says, nobody can tell me there's only one way. And I'll tell you this, God can. And you don't have to believe it. You don't have to accept it. And what will happen is he'll be a door for you also, but we'll get to that in the end. But Jesus is presenting himself today as the door of entry, the only door. There's only one way in. Now, what are we going into? We're talking about going into a relationship with God the Father. It's called eternal life. Somebody said, I thought eternal life is heaven. No way. Eternal life is a relationship with God. It begins the moment you walk through the door. What's the door? The door is, say his name with me, Jesus. His name is is Jesus. And so when we're on the outside of the door, if you could imagine here today on the stage, a large door, and we are born on this side of the door, outside the family of God, and Jesus made a way for us to walk through him and come into the family of God with all the provision of God that comes through the door 
of Jesus Christ. We're born again. And here's what we do as man. We try to make a window. We try to say, well, well, I don't really believe that, or I don't run into that Jesus thing. And people have all kind of nonsense they'll say. And I want you to think about how arrogant and prideful it is for us to say, uh, God, I, I don't want you to tell me there's only one way. When in fact, in humility, we ought to say, God, thank you. You made it so simple that it's just one way. Thank you that you didn't make it some mathematical equation because I'm telling you what, I hate math and I would be so far outside the realm of saving uh, that it would be really, really sad. So he's, he's simplified. Now listen to me. When I say he simplified it, I'm not telling you that he made it easy. I went to Hickory on Mother's Day and that preacher said that salvation is not easy. And that's exactly what I said. I said it's simple, but it's not easy. You know why it's simple? There are not ten doors. It's simple because there's not a door and two windows. It's simple because it's a door and not some other entry where there's just one simple door. And his name is Jesus. Now, here's why it's hard. It's hard because you'll have to humble yourself and say, I accept that God's, God's the one who determines how the way in and what the way in. And he loved me enough to die for my sins so there's a way in. And I'm coming through Jesus Christ into the family of God. Pride says, I don't, I'm, I don't like one option. Humility says, thank God he made it simple and he paid the way. And so today I want you to know that Jesus said, I am the exclusive door. Listen to what he said here, right, in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Write it there in your notes. Here's what it says. Nor is there salvation in any other. What does that mean? There's no other door. Anybody tracking with me? I could give you 50 verses that, that support this. There is no other door. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, y'all reading with me, by which we, help me, must be saved. You must be saved by Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You, you mean to tell me that I can't go to church enough and teach Sunday school and preach and give to the poor and you can do all that and it'll be great and it'll be wonderful. And they might even build a statue for you, might even name a baseball field after you, but you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You'll not. There's only one door. And that door has a name. Let's say it again. His name is Jesus. I'm so thankful because I'm pretty simple-minded. I'm so thankful he made it so singular and exclusive. There's no other way, all right? Now, let me move on if I can to number two. Somebody said, please move on. Well, I'm not through with that. Jesus is the only door, so just hang on. I'm coming back to it, all right? So number two in your notes, all right? And this is verse number nine. We're going to read eight. I'm going to explain it, and we're going to go to verse nine, all right? Now, that's just called expository preaching, verse at a time. But what we notice first is that Jesus is the exclusive door of entry. There's no other way in, just Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the door of rescue to anyone. So wait a minute, preacher. As you're writing, I'm going to talk. You just said that he is exclusive. Yes. There's no other way but Jesus, right? But now you're telling me that he's inclusive, right? He'll include anyone who will. Boy, that's good news today. Exclusive, there's no other way, only one way. Inclusive, whosoever will call upon his name shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful? So you'll never find yourself in a lake of fire outside the door, Jesus being the door that keeps you out of heaven. You'll never find yourself separated from God in a lake of fire and be able to say it was his fault. He spared no cost. He brought you the gospel in its simplicity. He set you down on a Mother's Day and had a less than ordinary guy put it in such simple terms a little child could understand it. And gave you every opportunity to come through the door. We're going to get to that in just a minute, okay? So, first, he is the exclusive door of entry. But next, I want you to see that Jesus is the door of rescue to anyone. Look in verse number 8 and then 9. Verse 8, all who, Jesus said, all who ever came before me. Listen to what he identifies them as. Thieves and robbers. 
He said, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, most believe, most theologians believe that this is not a reference, it can't be a reference to the Old Testament prophets. Who did they represent? God. They were God's spokesmen. They spoke for God. So, obviously, they weren't thieves and robbers, so we can cancel that out. Most believe that Jesus is speaking to an audience of people who had, in times through history, had other leaders rise up among them and say, hey, follow me. I'm the Messiah. Uh, Follow me, and I'll lead you to, we're going to fight Rome and defeat them and cost them their lives and took money from them. And so those leaders, y'all tracking with me, were thieves and robbers. They were never about the eternal salvation of the sheep. They were just trying to get what they could get from them, trying to lead them to a victory over Rome, okay? So now, verse number nine, I am the door. Now, anytime you're reading the Word of God and something is repeated twice, you need to pay special attention. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, write it somewhere. And so Jesus is helping them to see, remember this, I am the door. Speaking to some very religious men, memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Can you imagine quoting Genesis? And these men, if you saw them, they'd be godly. Oh, you're such the most godly person on the outside. Look at them, how they're living. And yet Jesus is saying to them, there's no other way. Your pious living, your righteous living, your self-righteous attitude is not the way. You can't be good enough to get in. I'm the only door. And he says it a second time. I am, y'all help me, the door. Anytime he repeats himself, pay close attention, all right? So, verse 9, I am the door. Now, there's a little two-letter word here, and I want you to see it in your, in your, in your Bible. I am the door, and there's a period, and then it starts another sentence with a two-letter word. That word is if. It's a contingent word. So this means not everybody is in. Everybody tracking with me? This means that we're not born into the family of God. It doesn't mean that we're all, it means that we're not all God's children. It means that there's something necessary for the if, the cause and effect. So he says, if anyone, and that's the word I want you to pay attention to for a minute, the word anyone. That word means, you know what that word means? It means anyone. (laughs) It means me, and it means you. And it means Hitler. And it means, it means anyone who has ever done any atrocious act or, or just simply broken the law of God, and we all have. He says, anyone can come through the door. But you just said it was an exclusive door. Yeah, because there's only one door. But it's inclusive when he says to you, if you'll come through the door of Christ Jesus, you'll be part of the family of God. Your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be saved. And I'm going to touch on that here in just a minute. But it is contingent upon the if. So here's my, I want you to start developing a thought in your head. Here it is. Have I, have I done what he says next? Okay. So what does he say? Y'all read with me. He says, if anyone does what? Enters. Enters by me. So we, feel, we find this verb that means I can't stand outside the door and look at the door and say, oh, there's the door in. And we can't, it's not sufficient, it's not enough for me to say, well, there's the door, and the door is Jesus, and there's no windows, and I know Jesus is the only way, and I believe in my head, English belief, I believe in my head there's only one door, and Jesus is the way, and I believe that. But if I never enter the door, I'm still outside the door. Is anybody tracking with me? So I can, in my head, believe it. There are many of you in this room right now, you believe it. You believe Jesus died for you, believe he rose again, but you've never entered You've never entered. You've never come in. You've never taken the action part of the belief. See, pastuo is saving faith in the New Testament. I've been teaching this for so many years. It almost gets redundant, but I'm telling you, everywhere I go, people get so confused. It is a belief so strong that you, 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 it's, you don't do the action to have the faith, but because you have a true faith, it, it, it makes you act. You do. Uh, sort of like when you sat in your chair this morning. <clears throat> I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you believe your chair will hold you. You know how I know it? 
I see you sitting in it. You would not have sat in that thing if it was rickety and in your mind you didn't think it could hold you. So it is a belief so strong that we act. So he's saying that you can stand at the door and look at the door. You can admire the door. You can say, oh, what a beautiful door. You could even gather in a room full of people and sing praises to the door and say the door is wonderful and the door is the way. And, and I believe that but never have entered the door and still be outside the door, separated from God, dominated by sin unfulfilled in purpose. And that is what we're beginning to see. Jesus says, if it's contingent upon entering. Listen to when I say it to you again. Salvation is contingent upon if, contingent upon entering. Now, someone might ask the question, how in heaven's name do I enter into Jesus? I'm glad you asked. I have something written down I want to share with you from the Word of God, if I might, this morning. So we're going to take these phrases, break them down a little at a time. So first, I'm the door. We're in verse 9. I am the door. Jesus repeating specifics. He's the only way. Second part of the phrase, if anyone enters by me, there is an action to saving faith. Saving faith has action. Let me give you a verse to go along. Actually, two. The first one I want you to write down is John chapter 1 and verse number 12. You write that in your notes. It's going to be on the overhead. John 1 and verse 12. See if you can find in John 1, 12, because y'all are looking up there reading right now, if you can find the action necessary to enter the door. There's a verb, but as many as, oh, as many as received him to them, to the, the literal translation is to only them, to specifically them, he gave the right. So then, those who have not received the action form of, of, of faith, those who have not received him, they have not been given the right to be called children of God. Only those who have seen the door, accepted who the door is and what the door has done, and entered into, believed into, accepted, received him into their life. Those are the ones that are given the right to be called what? Somebody help me. Children of God. Isn't it sad to know there are many people in America today who acknowledge the door, who maybe even praise the door, who maybe even like to sing about the door and even read about the door, that have never entered the door, and because of that have no idea what it feels like to have the Spirit of God living in them and to be part of the kingdom of God. Some of you in here, you're so tired of trying that game, man, you've been playing that thing for so long, and for the first time ever, it's coming clear to you why uh, your boyfriend messes your life up so bad, why your husband, your wife has that kind of power to wreck your mental capacity and how you feel so bad. Why work is not fulfilling you. Why the things that you're trying, why going to church is not enough. And what you've come to the conclusion right now in this moment is that you have never grabbed the handle and stepped through the door called Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to receive him? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. I'd like to develop it a little further if I might. Okay, let me give you another verse. Here it is. Mark chapter 1, verse number 15. See it on the overhead with me. Here's what it says. But as many as, excuse me, as saying this time, Jesus said, is fulfilled. Mark 1.15. And the kingdom of God is at hand. What he's saying, the time is drawing near for the Son of Man to come. And here's what his instruction is to the people. You ready? This part of stepping through the door. The first word he uses in his statement is this. Repent and believe. Now, here's something you don't hear people discuss a lot in the, in the avenue of salvation, and that is the word repent. Repentance, we oftentimes heard in the past, was a U-turn. And, and in fact, it is, but it is just like pastuo faith. It's a thinking that ch changes the action. 
Uh, I've shared with you before, I'm going down the road, head the wrong direction. Tina tells me head the wrong direction. I don't believe her until I've gone so far out of the way that I see a sign for a city that I know I'm in the wrong direction, and my mind has changed. She couldn't do it, but my mind has changed because the evidence is there. And it, it's not, listen to me, it's not until the mind change that I turn the steering wheel. Some of us in here today, you're floating through life, and to you, everything is wonderful. You, can, you get to drink, you get to cuss, you get to spend your money on whatever you want to spend your money on, and you just sprinkle in a little going to church. And in your mind, it is the best thing. It's so wonderful. You're getting a little bit of both. And what you are missing out on is what it feels like to actually be inside the room. Now, what is inside the room? It's representative of being part of the family of God. It's having the spirit of God and the blessing of heaven and our hope ahead of us that endures us through the sufferings that we go through down here. It's having a faith family that knows that Jesus is high and lifted up, and they're not about themselves, but they're about him, and they're there for you. I'm telling you, you're missing it if you're trying to mingle it all together. There is one door, and there's only one way in, and his name is Jesus. If anyone enters by me, so it comes by repentance. It comes by then receiving. How do we receive? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is, if you know it, say it, Lord. Lord meaning above everything else. Confession with you. I had a person ask me one time, do you think I really have to say it with my mouth? I said, well, I'm not a very smart guy. I don't, I don't, I don't claim to be very intelligent. But it literally says you must say with your mouth, you must confess with your mind. Now, the word confess doesn't mean just to say, because anybody can say empty words. It means to agree, be in agreement with God that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if we talk about that's what opening the door looks like, I'm telling you, there, there's probably, it scares to death if we knew how many people in here that blend in. I can't tell you, look so good. You all kind of got the same color tones on, man. You dressed up for mama today and looking sharp and good, and, and you look so wonderful. But what I know is, is that the father's not fooled when we're in the wedding party and we don't have the wedding garment on, we stick out like a sore thumb. And right now, you know it's you. Right now, it's very uncomfortable because you know it's you. And you're not, you're not in the family. You're outside the, the room but you're masquerading as if you have, in fact, repented and with your mouth confessed that Jesus is Lord, sliding over the title deed to your life and inviting Jesus to be number one over all things and with reckless abandon, turning it over to him and receiving his Holy Spirit. And you can't figure out why some people are so excited and telling people about Jesus and not perfect but living forgiven. And the answer is you've not walked through the door of Christ Jesus. And I'm begging, you know, I'm begging you today on this Mother's Day. Somebody said, man, I went to Mother's Day, and would you believe we didn't hear Psalm 31? I don't know what's going on with that preacher down there. He didn't preach a Mother's Day message. I know I'm preaching Mother's Day, Father's Day, Children's Day, Brother's Day, Cousin's Day. Uh, this is the message that I'm telling you the enemy has lied to some of us to think, well, I believe the door is what the door is, and I think he is the way. Sure, I'll agree with that. And we think that because we agree with that in our head that we're saved. And we've not entered through the door. So, repentance, confession, right? Uh, belief. So, let me move on if I can. And then he's the, here, here's what he says in this next phrase, because I love it. He says, if, uh, y'all read in verse 9, I am the door. If, it's contingent upon anyone entering, it's open to anybody. He will, look at this next phrase. If, if anybody, anybody among us will walk through the door of Christ Jesus, read this next phrase with me. He will be 
saved. I stepped up in the sound booth this morning. I was asking about adding a song to the, to the loop ahead of worship time. And when I'm, somebody asked me, how you doing? I said, I'm doing so good. I can't believe I'm not in jail. And they said, what, what have you done? I said, well, I'm talking about a long time ago. I think the statute of limitations is probably worn out. But anyway, I still could be, right, technically doing time. But Jesus has set me free not only from man's law but from his law. And I said, I went to bed saved and I woke up saved. And I'm getting today to preach the gospel to a group of people that has the power to save them like it saved me. You kidding me? I'm living a dream. And I wish unto God today that you would understand that this thing is not about thinking, well, sure, Jesus, I believe, I'll go along with that. But it's about grabbing a hold of the door handle in repentance and confession, stepping into the door and now becoming that which he died for you to be. His own child. Boy, it's beautiful. He says he will be saved. Let's talk for a minute about what does that mean. It means that we will be saved from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. What is the power of sin? Sin dominates me and you. We think we can play with it. We think we can manage it, so we try it. We try it, and all of a sudden, it takes us a little further than we thought we would go, keeps us a little longer than we thought we'd stay, costs us more than we ever wanted to pay up front, right? Because we thought that the devil was like the, the thing on the, in the Aliens movie, right? Something that we could spot, but the Scripture says he's like masquerades as an angel of light. And so sometimes I think to myself, wouldn't it be nice if he was like the creature from Alien, you know? Man, ain't no way you could convince me to get in a room with that thing. Anybody? I mean, we would all be like, there it is. And we would have to, nobody would have to say run. We just would run. I mean, we'd just get out of there. But what happens is he, he masks and dresses everything up to look like the thing that you've always longed for. The thing that you really wanted anyway. And he makes it look so good, and all of a sudden you take the bait, and when you and I take the bait, we look up, and before long, we've got our head in our hands. And we're asking the question, sometimes out loud. You ever been there? Here's the question. How did I get here? How did I get here? There's some of you today, man, the power of sin is dominating your tail like it used to dominate mine, and you've come in today, and I still remember the taste of death on my mouth after drinking myself almost unconscious some nights, and I remember, and I'm saying to you this morning, there are people in this room who are listening right now out there, and you can taste it right now. Right now, you taste it in your mouth from last night. And I want to say to you, I'm so glad you're here because you're looking at somebody who's been there and can tell you, honest to goodness, there's a better way. I finally found what living is all about. I'm going to come back to that. Remember that phrase in just a moment. So he'll be safe in the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Let me move on if I can to number three. There's only five, so we, we're almost there. You guys hang tight. Number three, Jesus, and this is verse nine as well. Jesus is the door to life. Jesus is the door to life. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, I just alluded to it when I said I finally found what living is all about. All right, first, uh, excuse me, John chapter 10 Verse number nine, y'all reading with me? Here we go. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I just can't get over that. I cannot get over Somebody asked, man, you've been preaching for almost 18 years. Why do you get so excited still? Because of that right there. He saved me, and I'll never get over it. And we'll, listen to what he says, and we'll go in and out and find, is anybody reading with me? Have y'all checked out? Uh, going in and out and find what? Passion. And you know what that's important to? That's important to a sheep. And the sheep needs to be able to go in and out of the fold. Now, what is the fold? It was a, usually a circular shaped pen they would make out of rock oftentimes. And then on the top of the rock, they would generally put briars or, or thorns uh, acting like a modern-day barbed wire. And they would have one gate, one door. Isn't that cool? Because, well, you get the point. And the shepherd would oftentimes lay in the gate so that if the wolf came to attack the sheep, he would have to, oh, you see the picture of laying his life down for the sheep. Oh, my goodness, what a Savior, this Jesus. 
And what he's saying is now, because if a person will come through the door called Christ Jesus, you'll, like a sheep, you'll be able to go in and out of life. You'll be able to go to work and come home. You'll be able to go here and go there, and you'll be able to do life. And then he throws in and find pasture. Now, what is pasture? Why is that necessary for a sheep? It's what you need for life. You know, a sheep will die without grass, and he or she has got to have grass. And he says that if you'll come to me, I'll give you what you need for life. There's some of you here today, you're dying on the vine. And you can't figure out why. You've got money. You can buy the things that you want to do and buy the things you want to get. And you've tried some things and you've done some things. And, man, you have some special sports. And when that time of year is here, you're all in, man. But then the sports season goes over. And, boy, it's really hard to try to maintain some level of joy because the cupboard is bare. And you're void of Jesus. And I'm telling you, I've tried it both ways. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that when you come to me, I'll give you life. I'll provide for you what you need, purpose and peace and direction and conviction. Anybody here thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God? Amen. I'm so thankful. I I shudder to think where I'd be if he didn't bring conviction in my life when things come to pass. So Jesus is the door to life. Here is a verse, Philippians 4, 19, and I'm going to move on. Paul said to the church at Philippi, and my God shall supply. You're reading with me? What will he supply? All your need according to his riches and glory by the door. He'll provide what you need in life by the door called Christ Jesus. Preacher, I read a verse today, and I went to Hickory Ridge, and the preacher said that that I'm going to have a three-story house if I come to the door of Christ Jesus. No, he said that The things that you need, you'll have. And the things that you don't need, you won't have. And even when you don't know the difference, he'll still maintain our lot. Aren't you glad uh, that he'll help us with that as we go along the journey? So he is the door to life. He's going to supply all that we need for this journey. Some of us are trying to live without him, and it's a horrible way to live. Number four, and there are only five. Number four, look in verse 10. Jesus is the door to life, same thing, but add a word, abundantly. Abundantly. Now, there are two things I need to point out here in verse number 10. One's going to have to do with a thief. One's going to have to do for, with a Savior. Okay? Y'all with me? There's a little compare and contrast between the thief and the Savior. All right? Anybody know who the thief is? Satan. And anybody know who the Savior is? Jesus. So let's, let's compare and contrast. Here we go. Verse number 10. Number one. All right? There's a thief. And it's going to be on the overhead. It's going to take a minute for you to write it. So they'll go ahead and put that up. And leave that up there for me, if you will, for a little while. Don't, don't take it back down. Leave it up there for a little while because they're writing. I don't want y'all to have to write fast. It's Mother's Day. I want you to write slow and easy. All right? So here it is. There's a thief who comes to decrease what is truly good. There's a thief. And he comes. It's an action verb. He shows up. And he shows up for the sole purpose of decreasing what is, help me all, True, come on now, truly good. Because our flesh has an idea of what's good. For instance, my flesh thinks three pieces of chocolate cake is really good. Okay? But the Spirit of God and the Word of God says to me that eating, not overeating, is truly good. And when you start living in that truly good, you start figuring out, okay, well, yeah, he was right and I was wrong. Um, Do you understand the difference between what we think is good and what's truly good? Okay, so the thief comes to decrease. In other words, there are many in this room right now, and you you hear that, and you've never even thought about that. And what you don't know is he is having a heyday at your house. He is robbing you of peace and joy and power and influence. 
He is steady stealing from you uh, what Jesus Christ bought for you, that which is truly good. I was considering in early worship, I said, you know, for instance, we think that there are many of us in this room today that would argue me down about drinking being good. And to which I would say, I heard a man say this one time, you ever thought about what intoxicated represents? In tox, toxic, toxic material in your, anyway, you don't have to be very smart. But if we consider these things, okay, we consider these things. My flesh would say that getting drunk was good. Had some fun doing that. I went to Mother's Day at Hickory's, and a preacher said he had fun one time getting drunk. Uh, Self loves sin. The old flesh nature loves sin. But, boy, it led to some terrible places. And so I thought it was good, but it wasn't good. And what the enemy would say is, go ahead, big boy, have you another one. It's all right. You're not getting drunk. You just, just go ahead. And what the enemy was doing was using what I thought was good to decrease what was truly good in my life. There's some of you who are living that right now. And uh, I'm so thankful God brought you here today for me to look you in the eyes and say to you, there's some of you who are living that right now, and there's some of you men who are living that right now, and your whole family is suffering because of it. Your marriage is not good like it could be good because of it. You're, there's some women in here, same thing. Your marriage is not, there's some single folk in the room today, and your not, life is not good, truly good as it could be because you've turned to things like, you know, alcohol. Y- y'all tracking with me. The things of the world. It doesn't have to just be. It's the things that dishonor God. And when we are fooled into thinking that even though God says they're bad and we say they're good and it's all right, we can say they're good, it's robbing us of peace and joy and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and long-suffering and self-control. And he's steady robbing for us. But, boy, he puts it in a nice bow. And the problem is he never takes us to the end game. We never get a snapshot of what we'll look like if we take the bait, right? How many of you like me have taken that bait? He's put the bait out there, and then you wake up and you got your head in your hands. And you say to yourself in a moment of despair, now see if you can relate. How in the world did I get right here? This wasn't my plan. This wasn't how, as a little boy, I planned my life to be. How did I get here? And I'll tell you how. There's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you don't acknowledge that, he is having a heyday in your life. And listen to this. He's never satisfied with the level of destruction that he's brought into your life already. If he's ruined your marriage, he's after your children. I'm telling you, he's ne- it's not like the movies where this one event happens and, oh, he's so happy and he moves on. No. He's never satisfied because he's a thief at heart. He wants to steal what is good, and he's constantly wanting to take from you. So we need to know that we have a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to decrease what is truly good. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, I've got to move quickly. Verse 10, he says, first, we have a, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But look at the first, second half of verse 10. I have come, Jesus, still talking to this group. I have come that they may have, y'all help me, have life, and they may have that life more abundantly. I, I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus didn't say, I, just want, I don't want to just save him and let him exist. I want to save him. I want to save you. I hear Jesus saying, I want to save you, and then I want to give you abundance of what you need. The word for abundant there simply logically means more than you'll have need for. Here's what I'm thankful for. I need a lot of grace. And what I acknowledge in this verse is that Jesus, the door of my salvation, the one who let me in, the one who keeps me in, the one who makes it where I can go in and out and find pasture, I'm so thankful that he, as much grace as I need, he provides more. As much mercy, I need the mercy. Anybody here like me, I need God's mercy. Like every moment of every hour of every day. God, be, don't give me what I deserve. Be merciful. And yet as much mercy as I need, Jesus provides for me more, than, more, more, more mercy than I'll ever need. 
abundant life is not having all the bells and whistles and all the fun things this life has to offer, but it's having all of those good things that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, things you can't buy at Walmart, things that will sustain you all the way to the finish line, things that make life truly good. So there's a Savior. We said there's a thief who comes to decrease what is truly good. Put this up there for me. But there's a Savior who comes to add and increase what is good. You know the reason that Jesus wants you to completely follow him? Just think on that for a minute. You leave that up there for me if you will so they'll have time to write that. That just was a quick flash. Y'all need to see that again, don't you? Yeah? Number two, if you will, the number two, there is a Savior who comes, if you'll put that up there for me. Y'all need time to write that one, don't you? There you go. I thought some of y'all about halfway through and looking up. There's a Savior who comes to add and increase that which is good. Jesus died. You know, you know what the reason that he wants me and you to surrender to him fully and follow his commands and follow his footsteps? Because that's where the blessings are added into our life. That's where peace is found. See, in our flesh, we say he gives us these things he wants us to do, and there's no fun in it. He wants to suck all the fun out of my life. But the truth is he has a way he wants to direct you that if you and I will follow him, he'll add peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and, and long-suffering, all the wonderful fruits that the Spirit of God provides. So the Savior wants to add, the thief wants to, to decrease. All right, finally, number five. Here's where we're going to rest. And I hope every person sits still and hears this. And please don't get up, move around. If at all possible, let me conclude right here, all right? One statement, and I'm going to give you some verses to go along with it. Here it is. You ready? So far, quick review. Jesus is the exclusive door of entry. Y'all help me so we can finish. Mother's Day lunch is getting ready. Number two, Jesus is the door of rescue to who? So it's an exclusive door, but it's inclusive because whosoever will may come. Third, we said, Jesus is the door to finally find what living is all about. But not just life. Jesus is the door to life, abundantly more than we'll ever need. And then finally, number five, Jesus is the door of exclusion. Now, don't say that, preacher. You're going to hurt my feelings. You mean to tell me that somebody's going to be excluded? Absolutely. I love you enough. Hallelujah. I got me an amen back there in the corner. Y'all hear that? Hallelujah. Give me some more amens back there. Think about this for a minute. If I claim to love you, how in the world could I look you in the face and say, we're all God's children. It doesn't matter. We're all going to heaven. It's all good and fine. And then you go to hell and spend the rest of your eternity there. Good night. How could I love you and do that? How could I love you? There's no way I could love you and do that. So what is the truth? Let me read John 14. Verse 5 and 6, you're reading. And Thomas said to Jesus, now what's happening? Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. You remember? He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. And Thomas and the group said, well, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. And so how do we know how to get there, right? They didn't have GPS and they had no air tag for, to put on Jesus. And so they didn't know where he's going and know how to get there. And Jesus said back to him very famously, I am now, notice the article, the way. Not a way, the way. Not the way plus a window, but simply the way, the truth, and the life. All right, let's move that sentence off of our mind for just a moment, and let's look at the second sentence that he says, okay? You see the period in this? In this Y'all see it? Yes? All right, now, read. I just want us to focus for a minute on the last sentence of this, of this verse. You ready? I said that Jesus is the door of what? Now, this one here is exclusion. Exclusion, meaning it'll exclude you. It, it means the determining factor of whether you're in or you're out. You're excluded based on this door, okay? Now, how could I be so bold as to tell you that? Because that's what Jesus said. Now, read the last sentence with me. No one comes to the Father except 
Oh, you see a door? Anybody seeing a door in your mind? And he said, no one will come into the kingdom, no one will see the Father unless he comes what? Through me. You'll not be good enough. You'll not believe that there's a door. You'll not even praise the door into heaven. You'll have to personally enter the door. And if you won't, he's still the door of your destiny. See, for me, when I get to heaven, my door that lets me in is not any good deed or any sermon I've preached or any theology that I've understood or any doctrine that I've settled. It'll simply be because Jesus paid the price for me, and I belong to him, and he belongs to me. And I'll get to come in through the door of Christ Jesus. But there's some in this room right now that if you died, and today was it. Listen, you believed in the door. You believed that the door was there. You believed, Even in your head, you thought, okay, yeah, Jesus did that, sure. But you never surrendered to him by faith and entered through repentance and confessing him as Lord. And so you're on the outside. And so he also will be the door, and he'll be the door that keeps you out. There will only be one door that keeps you out. There won't be three doors that keep you out. There won't be a window that keeps you out. There will be one singular door that keeps you out. You know what that door's name is? Jesus. Someone said to me one time, no, 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 Pastor, it'll be my sin that keeps me out. I said, oh, no, no, your sin was paid for on the cross. What you did with the door will be the single determining factor of whether you'll enter the kingdom of heaven or whether you won't. So today I'd like for us to do this for a moment, as still as we can. I'd like for us to set our stuff to the side and just bow our heads together for just a moment. Will you do that with me? Please don't be wearing those door hinges out on those back doors because I believe salvation hangs in the balance. And if at all possible, could you hold still for just a few more minutes? Now, I want to speak to you from my heart, if I might, for just a moment. If I was to ask you, when was the day you entered the door, what would that day be? Where were you? What was going on when the Spirit of God stirred? And I'm not talking about the day you believed in Him, that you said, okay, yeah, I trust that that's true, Sure. I'm talking about the day you entered the door, the day you truly grabbed hold of the handle and said, my life is yours because you died for me and rose again. I'm confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I'm receiving him as my Savior. And we're born a second time. Listen to me. Somebody in this room today is realizing it's never happened for you. And listen, I know it's terrifying because, man, your your, your eternity hangs in the balance. And so this morning, I would urge you, I'd beg you, I'd say, come to Jesus. Today is so simple that a child could understand. So here's what I'm going to do, all right? I did this in early worship time. I want to ask with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around this room, not a single soul, all right? I want to say to you, if you're in this room or if you're listening out there somewhere, and today that's not happening, I'm not asking you you're going to. I'm just asking you, you know pretty certain that that's never happened. You've never truly entered the door of Christ Jesus. I'm not going to come find you. I'm not going to get you to come down front. I just want you to raise your hand up right now. All right? I see you there. Hold it up. Just slip it up and hold it up for a second, okay? I see you there. Uh, let the lights down just a little bit more. Down a little bit more just so I can barely see. Okay, thank you. Uh, just slip your, I see you back there. God bless you in the middle there. I see your hand there. Any others that just slip your hand up and just keep it up there for a second? I, I'm, I don't believe I've ever stepped through that door. Literally how I've heard you say it today, I don't think I've done that. Would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. God, I pray that you would give wisdom now and clarity. You, Lord, are not a God of confusion. And you desire for all people to come to saving knowledge of your son Jesus by entering into him, the door. Now, here's what I would say next. A lot of hands raised in the room. The good news is if you feel the Holy Spirit is stirring, if the Holy Spirit is stirring and drawing you today, here's what I would encourage you to do. Right now where you're seating, do that. Enter the door. Just come on in. Just come on in. There's not 12 steps to it. You don't have to come back later tonight and do it. Right now in this moment, if the Spirit is drawing, don't harden your heart and turn a a deaf ear to His voice. But if the Spirit is calling today, would you be willing to wave the white flag? I said it's simple, not easy, because you'll have to surrender. 
Would you be willing today to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life right where you're seated, right where you're seated today? Something like this. Lord Jesus, today I'm face to face with what you did for me. What amazing love you died for me and rose again. And based on that wonderful display of love and power, I'm inviting you to come. Receive. That word receive means to come take them in. I'm re- I want to receive you as my Lord, which means above all things. You can pray it right where you're seated. You don't have to walk down an aisle to do that. You don't have to hold my hand or Brian's hand or any of those things. We're here for you if you need us. But understand you can do it right. We're, right, we're driving down the road right there in the captain, in the nurse's station. Right now you can invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, and he'll save you. He promised he would. Now what I'm going to do quickly is a show of hands, all right, a show of hands. If you're here today and you've invited Jesus to be Lord, I'm not going to come find you. It's too dark, too big a room, too many people. But if you feel led in a little while, come on if you want. But I just want to know how to pray. If you're here and you've invited Jesus to be Lord, you're not ashamed of that. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm not going to come find you. I see you there. I see you right there. And right there, God bless you and God bless you. One, two. Keep them up. Four, five, six, seven. Any others? Just slip your hand up high toward heaven. Eight, I see you there. I'd like to pray for you now. Father, I'm, I'm in awe um, that you would place a specific message for a specific person, but not really because the cross says it all. You demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So today, in the eight-ish hands that raised for salvation, I pray, God, they would understand that today the door is a beginning place and the rest of the Christian life is a journey. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, the Word, and the church. Father, I pray that someone have the courage in just a moment to come down, or soon come down and let us know so we can help them with the next steps. Father, for the one who's here today who's drifted far from the heart of God, I pray that today they'd come home to Jesus. Lord, may you be glorified in all that is said and done in these next moments as people respond. I pray you give us courage to respond. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.